starting a new series this morning, and uh, I thought it'd be good to pick up where we left off. We've just been following Peter through uh, the events of Easter as uh, he travels with Jesus and looking at the cross and the resurrection through his eyes. And now uh, we're going to start this series. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter. So it's a letter that Peter wrote later in his life, quite some years after the events of Easter. But you can tell that those events of Jesus' death and resurrection are still ringing in his ears and, uh, and forming him as a person. So we're going to start with uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes, This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. This is one, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered about what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that, by, that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. May the Lord open his word to our hearts. So uh, after Easter, after that series, uh, we called that one Hindsight and Blindsides. And you probably, if you were with us through that journey, you realize that Peter uh, was blindsided by events, that things happened that he didn't see coming. And we look back after all this time and we kind of understand, we see behind the veil and, and we hear what the gospel writers tell us. But Peter didn't know what was happening. He didn't understand 
the trajectory that Jesus was on so that even as Jesus told him about uh, his death and, and that it was necessary, he kind of fought him on it. Don't talk like that. The, the Messiah is the hero. The Messiah is the rescuer. And we need you to stand up against the darkness, Jesus. We need you to lead us against the powers that are pushing in on us. And so he doesn't understand. And so as we look through 1 Peter, we're going to find this letter that's written by the same guy, but so many years after that day on the beach, right? So many years after Jesus restores him and restores his calling and tells him to follow him and decides, just like he'd said at the beginning, I'm going to build my church on you and the gates of hell won't stand it against it. He's by this time done that. And Peter has become a leader in the church and he's inspired people to follow Jesus. He stood up the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and he told them all, the people who had murdered Jesus not long before, you guys killed him, but he is the son of God. And so the boldness that comes with that and the understanding and from that day on, the way he looked at the world was different from the way he'd looked at it before, even as he followed Jesus around, even as he learned and, and, and studied the miracles and heard Jesus' teaching and all those times that he watched what Jesus did and heard what Jesus said, it all fell into place. And from those days on, after Jesus had died and risen and showed himself to them, everything changes for Peter. And we we, in fact, in this letter, are looking at something that came in probably about the last three, four years of Peter's life. So it's some 20, 30 years later, and uh, scholars believe it's somewhere between like 62 and 65 AD. So, so in the time when, you know, Nero's persecution was just starting. So Peter talks a bit in this letter, as I just read, about some suffering and trials that Christians are going through. And he said, writes these six different churches, and he says, you know, you got these trials right now, but, but things are, you know, here's, here's the way to deal with it. Here's the way to look at it. And so this persecution was just starting, and, and, and by around 65 AD, Peter was martyred for his faith, and Nero's persecution was really kicking it into high gear. And so Peter found himself... Uh, persecuted and uh, murdered by the empire. And yet in these last days, the things that he taught the church, the, the, the words of wisdom that he'd gained over all those years uh, really comes through. And so as we dig in, we'll, we'll begin to look at that. And I called this series Roots and Shoots because if you can picture, you know, when you, when you chop down a tree and the roots are still there and those little branches, little buds start up, right? And there's a little green on them and you can start to get excited and say, well, there's actually life still in there. And it's kind of like that. Peter's instructing us on how to grow, how to spring to life, how to, how to push back against the forces of deadness in our world. And so his instructions are like that, like those new shoots, but never forgetting that it's rooted in something, that there's a greater reality at work in the world that is impacting how we look at things and how we go about our lives and how we deal with our situations, even when our situations are super challenging and there's suffering involved and we're dealing with trials of our own. And so Peter begins... Uh, his letter by saying to, uh, to about talking about his uh, his audience, he says, to, I, "I am writing. It's 
from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm writing to God's chosen people living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God's chosen people living as foreigners. He says there's two realities at work in your lives and there's two things competing for your attention, trying to define you, trying to tell you who you are. There's this sense that you are chosen by God. You are a person who's come into the kingdom and you've got a relationship with Jesus and that's a reality that can define you and can tell you things. But then there's this other reality he acknowledges where he says you're chosen people but you're living as foreigners in these places. Like there's this empire, this Roman empire that's, that's in charge of the world at the time. And he says, this empire is, is threatening you and there are things happening and, and you know, it can push in on you and, and you're an insider in the kingdom, but you're an outsider in the empire. Like you're chosen and wanted and you belong and you feel a good fit in the kingdom. But when it comes to the world around you, when it comes to the culture you're living in, when it comes to the, the society and how things are operating right now, there's lots of forces pushing you and squeezing you and, and putting pressure on you. And you feel all of that and you're an outsider to that. You're a foreigner. You feel like an outsider even if you grew up here your whole life. And so both realities are going on at the same time. He says, your chosen people living as foreigners. And so all of these guys who are living in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia are kind of like us. They live in a world where it's not always easy to live out your faith. And, and it isn't like everybody is celebrating the fact that you're living the way you're living or, or that the person that you are or who you're made to be. They're, they're not always on your side. And there are forces that press us and pressure us and and make us feel the weight of what's happening around us. But that's, that empire, even though we don't live in the Roman Empire, we still feel those kind of forces sometimes, don't we? And Peter's saying, look, but there's this other reality, and this is something different. You are chosen. Like God picked you. He loves you. And so they're both defining influences. They became, they're both trying to tell you who you are. They're both trying to define you and, and tell you who you are, how you should live. Uh, they've got a reaction to you. And it, it can be easy to hear all those voices pressing in on you, trying to uh, either build you up or break you down, right? And Peter goes, hey, you've got both going on, and, and I get it. Two identity identities, two defining influences. And so for those people in the churches he's writing to, they're chosen and they're living at foreigners as foreigners at the same time. They're insiders in the kingdom of God and they're foreigners or outsiders to the empire of Rome and the people around them. So they're chosen and they're wanted, but they're also foreigners and outsiders and feeling that they aren't appreciated everywhere. And so he goes on to describe the impact of those two realities and how to deal with them as Christians. And as we look through this letter in the next number of weeks, we'll see his chiseled instructions after a life of trying to follow Jesus and what it means to be chosen while you know that not everybody welcomes what you gotta say and how you're trying to live and the kind of person you are. And there's all kinds of pressure not to live that way. 
And so he starts with their identity as, as chosen, as kingdom people. And he says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've obeyed him and have, have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. He says, God the Father knew you and chose you. There's, there's kind of an interplay of words there, uh, a kind of a grammatical thing, and, and there's a little bit of confusion among some uh, churches and scholars that have some disagreements on the nature of this knowledge that God knows or foreknows uh, what's going on and his choice or his election. And if you want to go deeper into those terms, we can't cover them here this morning unless you want to stay all day. But there's a Bible study on Tuesday night, Thursday night. I said Tuesday in the early service, and I knew I got it wrong, but I still didn't remember which one it was. I'm glad Roxanne's here. So Roxanne's going to be leading the Bible study. If you want to do a deep dive on some of those things that are somewhat controversial, then you come in on Thursday morning, or Thursday evening. What is it, 7 o'clock? <laughs> I'm getting it all wrong. So God the Father knew you, chose you long ago. His spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You get the Trinitarian formula there. He says, this is what the Father's done. He chose you long ago. He knew you. He knew long ago who you are and what you would do. And, and he's chosen you to be part of his kingdom. And his spirit has made you holy. Now here's the thing. If you, if you read very much scripture, if you're into it, there's times when, when in the Bible it talks about your salvation. There's other times it talks about holiness or sanctification. You feel free to roll out that word sanctification at parties and impress people with your vocabulary. It's one of those $10 theological words, right? But, but this idea of holiness, of transformation, of change in you, and, and, and you, the idea that you're saved and you're forgiven and, and justified before God, those two things are often in Scripture spoken in, in like past tense, like God saved you the moment that you gave your heart to him. And then it talks in present tense and says, we who are being saved. And then there's other times like here where he talks about salvation in a future tense. And so it's like it started and it's continuing and its fulfillment is in eternity. But there's this sense in which God is still working on us and still transforming us and still active in our lives drawing us into his presence and making us more like him. And that full salvation and that holiness is something that he continues to chisel at us until we look more like Jesus. And so Peter says, God the Father knew you. He chose you long ago. His spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you've obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all working together, all conspiring to make you what you should be and to transform your life and bring you alive in the midst of a dead world. And so Peter says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. Like may he just work in you. All those things that will give you his grace to be able to deal with everything and his peace in the middle of a world that's at ter in turmoil. So he says, God the Father knew you. He chose you. He chose you according to his foreknowledge. And the impact that this 
triune God has to cleanse us and make us holy and set us apart and change us and transform us forever. And you notice here that the same Peter that struggled so much with the concept that Jesus had to struggle. Remember from the beginning of that last series, you know, Peter is, is being told that, uh, that Jesus has to suffer. And, and he's like, no, no, you're the Messiah. Like, you're the hero. You're the rescuer. Nothing happens if you're not with us. You can't suffer and die. You're the one that overcomes evil and darkness. And, and you're the one that's going to lead us into that kind of victory. And, and so you got to stick around. And then in the garden, he's pulling out his sword and taking on a whole battalion. Like he's sure that the way to do it is different than what Jesus said. He doesn't understand how suffering and death has to do with the kingdom. And he's sure that's something that they've got to overcome. And he's sure the victory is in might, even if it's just the might of God in the minority against a, a huge enemy. He's, he's like, we can take them all on because you're God. You've got all the power here. And now in his old age, he says, oh, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Like I get now what that blood does. I understand something more about what happened on the cross and the importance of it. And everything he's teaching us seems to flow in and out of that. And so what does the blood do? What does salvation in Jesus change? Like what, what does it happen if we, if we commit ourselves to him, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again. We've been born again. We start over. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Now we look forward to the future because of his blood and because of his resurrection. What happened in those three days when he died and he rose again? changed everything. The entire universe doesn't work the same because of what happened there. And so Peter isn't fighting it anymore. Over all these years, he's come to realize in such a deep way that everything flows in and out of that, that everything that Jesus taught him, it wasn't just about the teachings. Every time that Jesus healed somebody wasn't just about the healing, but that all of it flows from his sacrificial love on the cross and his resurrection. When he did that, it changed everything. And everything before history in the history of the world led up to that and everything flows out of it. And so Peter now says, all praise to God the Father. It's by his great mercy we've been born again. Like we start over. It's like we're fresh in life because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. So he talks about blood and he talks about the resurrection because those are the things that matter more than anything. Those are the hinge moments of history that everything points towards. And then he says, not only have we been made holy, not only are we born again, but we also have something else that comes from that, that, that there are benefits that come from, from being made holy, from being born again in Jesus. And he says, we have this great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. He says, we got something waiting for us, an inheritance that we're looking forward to in the future and nothing can rot it. Nothing can tear it down. Nothing can break it up. It's waiting for us out there. And so we've got this great expectation. We look forward to something God's holding on to for us. There's this future hope 
that he's got for us. And through your faith, he says, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So there's this future consummation of all of, of what he's done in saving us. And he says, we're looking forward to this time. Like all of these things are future tense, except for the fact that God is protecting you by his power until you receive it. Like he, in the meantime, he's protecting you as we move towards that goal, as we head in that direction, as we aim towards that thing that we look forward to with eager expectation. And so Peter says, be truly glad, like be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. See, the empire pushes in on them. They are people who are pressed. They are at the bottom. When he mentions their social status, he mentions slaves and husbands and wives. He doesn't say, well, some of you are really high up in government and you are you know, you're involved in, they're kind of the, the low end of the totem pole. They're the people that are hurting. And, and some of it is because they're believers, because they're trying to live out their faith, that people are treating them poorly. And so he says, look, even though you got to deal with trials, even though you're pressured, even though you're suffering, even though things are not good in the empire, understand this other reality is happening because of the cross. This other thing is going on in you because Jesus resurrected from the dead. Those things are changing how you live in the now. So you can live in eager expectation. You can be truly glad despite your circumstances and despite what the world's throwing at you. And despite the fact that people don't understand you and you feel like an outsider and people are not on your side and they're not encouraging. And all these things can feel like they're too much to handle. But he's saying, remember the other reality. Because this is happening, and it's real in one sense, but this is more real. This is more true. And so the kingdom is the greatest reality, and that's the reason you can have joy. And that's the reason you can look forward to the future with expectation. That's the reason that you can be truly glad. And so he explains to them that these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Like it can ha actually have a positive impact on you because of the way you respond to it. And though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. I love that line. He says, this will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire pure, tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. He goes, gold gets refined by the fire and the impurities are burned off and you just got gold and it's pure gold and it's more valuable. But he goes, understand, I'm using a metaphor there, but it's not like gold is any big deal. Gold is nothing next to knowing Jesus. Like That's just gold. Eh, who cares? Now, the world that lives around them, in the empire, gold is, is the thing. That's what you're searching for. That's the measure of success. That's how good you are and, and what you've done and what you've built and what's important. But he goes, no, you live in a different reality where gold it doesn't even have any value. Next to what you got, what you have is so much better than gold. And so your faith is something that girds you up and gives you strength and makes you look forward to the future eagerly. 
So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Like in the end, when Jesus shows up, there's praise and there's honor and glory, and that end is worth looking forward to. And it's not that you're just waiting for them and just kicking around here till it happens. He says you have joy present tense. You look forward with eager expectation presently. Right now, you're not as caught up in those things that are trials because you are focusing on something bigger and more important that gives you perspective. So you don't disengage with the world now and just wait for Jesus to come back and get you, but you can live with more hope and more expectation and more vibrantly in spite of all those things that are happening because that is not as real as this. Because the empire is not as powerful as the kingdom. And so Peter is trying to teach them how to focus and how to frame things and how to look at the world in such a way that the trials, he says, you know, for a little while, meaning their earthly lives, like the, the empire isn't going to collapse tomorrow, but, but it's such a little while in the scheme of eternity. And because the kingdom is forever and the kingdom is more powerful, even though it looks less powerful. Now I'll admit the whole idea of kingdom versus empire. I had a conversation with Sandra this week. I was all excited about First Peter and digging into studying a little deeper and trying to, you know, freshen up my uh, understanding of it so I could share it with you. And as we're talking, she said, you know, uh, the rap artist, Lecrae, he talks about kingdom over empire. And I thought, I like that. That's a good way to describe it. So I thought I'd steal it. So I stole it from Sandra, who stole it from Lecrae. I did some Google searching and figured, found out there's a book, and Lecrae probably stole it from the author of that book. So, you know, there's a whole lot of stealing of ideas. Well, they're true, so they're not really belonging to those guys, right? But the whole idea uh, that, that the kingdom of God is more powerful and more present and more real, and that's the thing that Peter's talking about. And the empire of Rome or the empire of our government and the empire of our society and the culture we live in and the pressures it puts on us are not more powerful than the kingdom of God. And when we're zeroed into that, this becomes less important and less threatening and less pressurizing and less anxiety-inducing. And we can suddenly, in spite of all of that, look forward with eager expectation knowing, yeah, but Jesus is bigger and more powerful. He doesn't look it because the kingdoms of this world have armies that have big swords. They've got military might and they've got power and clout. And our king had a crown of thorns. And he never wielded a sword. But those empires come and they go. The Roman Empire, it's done long ago. But the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus to forgive sins and to bring resurrection life, that is bigger and stronger and more present than anything else we deal with and anything else we're facing 
and anything else that threatens us. And so then Peter sums up and he says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Like he's, he's writing to people who weren't there with him and the other disciples, weren't sitting on the hillsides hearing Jesus' words, didn't see him ever do a miracle, didn't witness the things that he did. He says, look, I'm telling you the story, and you weren't there. You never got to see him in the flesh. You never got to see him then, and you never got to see him in all those resurrection appearances. You guys just are taking my word on it. And he says, you've never seen him. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And his words reach out through the centuries to us. And he goes, you've never seen Jesus in the flesh. Like you've never met him in that way. But you love him. And you trust him. And that reality has changed everything for you. And when you're focused on that, and when that becomes the reigning reality in your heart and in your life, everything else is put in perspective. And so he says, you rejoice. You love him, because though you've never seen him, though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Not just a little bit of happy. Not just a little, I think I can make it through this. Not just enough hope to keep your head above water. He's going, glorious, inexpressible joy is possible in the midst of ugly circumstances where you are in a pressure cooker and the world's throwing stuff at you because Jesus died and because Jesus rose again and that changes everything in the entire universe. And so Peter tells them that this reality of the kingdom is the thing that changes everything. And this is the thing you need to focus on and this is the thing that you need to let grow as God's mercy and grace grow in you and change you and transform you so that everything that the world throws at you is no match for the spirit of Jesus that lives inside you. Inexpressible joy because you know the future and you know the God who directs all events and the one who protects you in the midst of really threatening circumstances. So that suffering and pressure and anxiety, they've got nothing, nothing that can threaten the work of Jesus inside you to make you his and to hold you safe and to give you hope for the future. And so he says, look, you're kingdom people, you've been chosen and you're foreigners, you're outsiders being bullied and victimized in this world, but this is more real. The kingdom is more present. Pay attention, people. That's what he says. Pay attention to this reality 
and everything else will fall into place and you'll have a perspective on life that allows you to take on all that stuff the world's throwing at you and it'll be no problem. The kingdoms of this world, the empires of this world will rise and fall and political parties you know, will, will never line up fully with, with our values as kingdom people. But we're not about political parties and we're not about backgrounds and we're not about this stuff. We are not fighting that battle. We are listening to the voice of God who tells us who we are. And who we are is chosen. Chosen by him to be transformed and to be his. Everything else is secondary to that reality because of what Jesus did and because of who he is and because of his work in us.